Warning. The 1982 project contains explicit language. So let your freak flag fly. 12 men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live. Inside. Where no one can see it. Or hear it. Or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are So I'm about halfway through this movie, and my older son comes in. He, he, had, the, he had the day off of school, and, uh, and I was watching this movie the afternoon. Uh-oh. This doesn't bode well for me. And he sits down and he says, "What are you watching?" And I said, "This is a, this is a movie for, from 1982." I was like, "It's a, it's a horror movie. So, if you sit down and watch it, just promise me you won't get nightmares." And he goes, "Yeah, okay, Dad. He's 13. Yeah, okay, Dad." <laughs> Not long after he sat down, the scene that you're describing happens, and I looked to him and I said. Not promise me this is not going to give you nightmares. And he was like, Dad, this is literally the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> we need some help down here. Can anybody hear me? We found something. Hello and welcome to the 1982 Project. I'm Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldrich. And this is the show that sucks you into the TV that is 1982. <laughs> we ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! He's a replicant, isn't he? I'm afraid! Alright! He likes Wonder Wish. Let's get let's blow it up right away. The black man. This has a whorehouse in it. Now that penis, huh. I'd recognize that penis anywhere. Fuck you two! You, go clean off my door. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Enough talk. All right, Matt, we're talking about Poltergeist to begin. And more broadly, we're now going to get into a series of horror films and what scared us in 1982. Yeah, we have a lot of horror films, actually. Um, right. This, we have no choice, but we have to split this into two parts. And so the way that I'm proposing we do this is today we talk about, for lack of a better term, the prestigious films, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the ones that have a little bit of class and a little bit of shine. (laughs) And then in the next episode, we'll talk about maybe some of the schlockier entries. Uh, So today we've got Poltergeist and we have The Thing. And next uh, episode, uh, stay tuned. We will be talking about Creep Show, The Swamp Thing, Cat People, Friday the 13th, Part 3. And as you know, Mike, my, my personal <laughs> the bane of your the existence. The bane of my existence, <laughs> Halloween 3. I, I, th- this, whole ba- this whole batch of horror films just makes, <laughs> like, we'll get into it next week. But next week in one episode, we'll have uh, two films in which Adrian Barbeau appears and two yeah, films right. in which Tom Atkins appears. Exactly. So, <laughs> it, it can really give you a sense of the pedigree of the films that we're going to be talking about next time. But this time, I think we're talking about two, sh- two, uh, two films that have easily stood the test of time. And yeah. I would put them in the top 25 films of 1982, uh, Poltergeist and The Thing. 
Um, yeah, I w- yeah. I mean, and we both did. Yeah, as in terms of their not necessarily are they the best films, but are they the most meaningful and long lasting? And we've spoken to this before, so much so that both have been either remade or sequelized. And many, yeah, many times. Yeah. Now, you, I'm. My understanding is you have seen a lot of horror movies. That you yeah. you enjoy the genre. I'm a fan of the genre. What are your favorites? What are your where do where do these put where, where do you put these in the in all of the horror movies that you kind of have seen and loved? The thing is for me up there near the top. Really? I love that movie. I I think you know this about me about how much I really love the Halloween series and yeah. Michael Myers. Yeah. Have you know knowing that about me, how much I love the original Halloween. I think I still might say The Thing is John Carpenter's best movie. You're not alone. It's that good. Yeah. And well, I'm so much not alone that he himself thinks it's his best movie. Mm -hmm. Poltergeist. I remember really loving that movie when I first saw it, like I think a lot of us did. But it wasn't, um, it didn't stay with me like The Thing has in terms of, always trying to catch it around Halloween or repeat viewings. Like, I hadn't seen Poltergeist in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that it, it like that it's diminished in my mind at all. But I just find it interesting that between the, the two movies, like, I'll find a way to watch the thing every, you know, year or two. Can I assume that you saw both of, both of these movies in the theater? No, you can't. Don't assume oh. that. Don't assume that. <laughs> I think I have the exact opposite experience of these movies that you do that you do historically i watched poltergeist a hundred times when i was a kid it was on yeah i mean i watched it a lot when i was a kid and i i went back and i had seen it a a number of times in fact i knew it so well that i was like we should play this for the kids um and because i really wanted to see how they would uh, react now, as to I it. recall, they thought it was comical more than they anything it else. Was hilarious! <laughs> they thought this was the funniest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, I remember you saying that, and as I was watching it, it kind of upset me because I think the scary still holds up, and I don't know if it's just my nostalgia for it, or if it really does hold up in. For scares. Well, I'll say this: they were laughing at the, they were laughing at the special effects. They, yeah. they that that was really they. It wasn't. What well, was and especially probably funny. when they open up the room, right? Everything they they thought everything was funny. Okay. My experience of the thing couldn't be more different than yours. I had actually never seen it until I just watched it for this show. Wow! No shit. Never seen it. I thought maybe once I started watching it, I would remember having seen it. No, no memory of having seen this film ever. I was completely new eyes on this. Wow. That's... And, that's, and that's how little I really care about or have dived into the horror, you know. That's the, fascinating the to me. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I... I and you're not, you, what did you just say? You're not very big on horror I'm not in general, big on horror right? films. No, not in general. It, the, the genre never grabbed me. I was never, uh, I, 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 although I will say like the scariest movie I've ever seen, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time, is The Exorcist. I, I'll go to the mat for that movie. 
Um, but you could also you could also make the argument that one of the things that makes The Exorcist so good is that that it's approached more as a drama than a straight up horror movie. Well, it's not. It's definitely not a slasher film, and I think that right. is that is uh, that's the genre that has never held any appeal to me. Um, right. The thing, not so delighted. I have to say, I'm not a I'm um, not a huge fan of the film, but I, I can see why many people are. So we'll get into that a little bit. All right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dick. Convince, convince me. Show me what you see in this movie when we talk about it. Indeed, I will. <laughs> the house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so obnoxious. With their three children. And something more. I loved this film as a kid. When I sat down to watch it again recently, I could have recited it by memory. This to me is has the best it has the best of the of horror, but it also has a tender story about a family. Yeah. It has some comedy in it. Yes. Where it where it needs to, you Where know? it needs it, yeah. It is a movie about motherhood. And yes. yeah, there's yeah, yeah, not yeah. there's not a lot of uh horror movies about motherhood. Maybe Carrie is the one that uh, pops to mind, but uh, or psycho, yeah, but, maybe. But with Carrie, <laughs> yeah. you're like, that's the mom I don't want. Right, exactly. Like, and in <laughs> fact, it is it is motherhood that uh, is the wins the day. wins the day is the only power that can uh, protect the family from from these uh, evil spirits. So I found it to be, you know, as a kid, I wasn't tuning in to the themes, but as an adult, I was like, oh my god, this is this is Joe Beth Williams' movie. And she does right. such a fantastic and she's job. So good. Oh my god, she's, she's so great. She's so good in this movie. It's unfortunate to me that like she wasn't the one that that came out of this movie like a super big movie star. I had the same thought, and I mean, Joe Beth Williams has still been in our lives. Yeah, no, she still no, is. She, she's I mean, no she, slouch. She's still acting, but I I I had that same sort of regret. I, I wanted her to go to Meryl Streep level. She's so good in this or, movie. Or at least, like, why did this movie do for her what Alien did for Sigourney Weaver? Right. Maybe it was just that she was surrounded by a really great ensemble, and so it felt more like an ensemble film. And That's the like only thing I can think of, right. As a character and then as an actor, she was absolutely true north in this uh, film. Uh, yeah. And I loved it. And again, these weren't things that I picked up on when I was a kid watching it, but every beat is all about motherhood, even down to the art design, even down to like when they go into the other realm and come back and they're sort of covered in afterbirth. And right. then the, and then the door to the other world looks like a, you know, a birth canal. And then the men are these uh, appendages uh, to the film, you know, um, a bit real, hapless, some of little, them. Yeah, Craig T. Nelson has a little bit more presence in the film as the yes. dad, but certainly all of the other men are, are a bit hapless, and they're always kind of deferring to the 
the person who's really in charge, right. whether it's the, the mother of the household or whether it's the, you know, the scientific The woman in charge of the psychics. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the, so the woman in charge of the psychics or, Z or Zelda Rubenstein's character. Um, and then at the other end, you have the, 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 the sort of the evil villain, the real estate developer, Craig T. Nelson's boss, as yeah. the ultimate sort of male appendage. For some, in some ways, this is like an all-female cast. And mm -hmm. in that way, it kind of puts it really far ahead of a lot of the other films that we've been watching. Um, and I, I just found it to be so much more enjoyable um, because of that. Yeah, and a, I, and a bit of a I of really air. latched on to this film in this viewing because, like I said, I hadn't seen it in a long time. Mm -hmm. And all the things you're saying and all the things we're talking about right now in terms of um, femininity really struck me on this viewing. And, like, to me, that's a lasting legacy for mm. the movie. Because, again, we're talking about 1982 movies. I know. And what? I think you just said this, but, like, this isn't something that you would see a lot in 1982. It's mommy, sweetheart. Hello, baby. <laughs> Can you see me? Can you see mommy? We're home, baby, we're home. Can you find me? Can you find a way home to us, baby? I think you usually have better perspective on dates because I know that this was released June 4th, 1982. But I'm not exactly sure what was released around it. It's so, directed. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you. Yeah, I'll give Go you ahead. that. I'll give you that. So, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later, right? Because in, some people will say that Steven Spielberg directed this movie, but Steven Spielberg doesn't. But we'll get into it. Though it's hard to dispute that his taste is not at play. Yeah. Correct? Absolutely. Okay, so Steven Spielberg's hands are all over this And movie. also, like, put it in perspective, because let's not forget, 1982, by the way, we already know, is the year E.T. comes out. Not just that, Mike. E.T. comes out the following weekend. Oh, for, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do remember that now. So this is where, so June 4th, June 4th sees Which the release. Which in and of itself is remarkable that they would... That they would come out Put at the same time. Put his two movies against each other, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the week before, you have Rocky Three. Then June 4th, you have Poltergeist. And the other noteworthy film uh, is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Okay. And then the following weekend is E.T. And the, <laughs> the, the doomed even before it was released, Grease 2. Oh, poor Grease, Grease 2. 2. Grease, Grease 2 was the film that came out the same weekend as E.T. <laughs> Good night, Grease 2. Good night. <laughs> Grease 2 is like me in the starting blocks next to, like, Usain Bolt. <laughs> and I look over at him and I go, oh, you no. You shake your head and think... Fuck me. <laughs> Gun goes off and I this just I just stay where I am. You, I just... And you rupture your Achilles. <laughs> so that's where that's where we are. We're at the start of the summer. We're at the start of a very um, of course it's a very 
big summer. I was going to see the, you know, Blade Runner. The thing came out uh, about a month later. So it's right in the thick of it. It's right in yeah. the thick of, 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 of the things. But and knowing finds that an audience. Too, I mean. Yeah. So knowing that, knowing that uh, E.T. is going to come in the next week and suck all the oxygen out of the room, what, what business does Poltergeist actually right. do? Right. So Poltergeist... 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way, on a budget of $10.7 million, an opening weekend of 6.8, in the USA and the world, $77.1 million. So considering that you only got 6.8 on your opening weekend, this movie yeah. made $70 million up against E.T. That speaks to, uh, it was it was in the theaters for a long time. It's, it's listed as being directed by Toby Hooper, Mm-hmm. Who we all know well. I at least I think you and I both know, and a lot of listeners would know. Directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but as we've alluded to and kind of started talking about, we know that Steven Spielberg produced this movie, and it goes so far as to say that what I've read is that literally no shot in this movie was shot without Steven Spielberg saying yes or storyboarding it himself or even setting up sh- setting up shots himself but the extent to which that happened is kind of up in the air. I mm. I've heard multiple different things and then I also read that Steven Spielberg was getting a lot of play when this movie was released as look Steven Spielberg directed it and he wrote a note to Toby Hooper and said don't please even for a second think any of this is true your contribution to this movie was invaluable and it's your movie and Mm -hmm. what you did was phenomenal so that said it still looks like a steven spielberg movie yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) if you were to if you were to sort of do the blind pepsi challenge taste test um i i I would just say yes this is a steven spielberg movie it feels like it and this movie, you know, we, we introduced these movies as our kind of prestige mo- movies. Uh, this movie is nominated for three Oscars, visual effects, sound effects, original score. It's listed as having the 69th greatest line in cinema history. Uh, you can't, they're here, right? It's the, yeah. we loved, uh, it was so, so much so that in the sequel, they made her say they're back. Right. Right. Um, uh, did you see? So there were two sequels to this film and a reboot. Did you see any of the sequels? Or I've reboots? seen all the sequels and I've seen the reboot. I don't remember the sequels, so I can't really. I know that I've seen them. I just can't speak to them. Mm-hmm. I want. I remember Tom Skerritt's in the third one, and I want to say that uh, there's snow, but <laughs> that's about <laughs> as much as I remember. And then, of course, there's a bit of an abomination. With the remake, it's. I didn't see it. What? It, it's kind what, of a mess. Is it? Is it along the lines of Tron Legacy and Blade Runner, twenty forty nine? No, I'd say it's worse than that because it's lazier. It uh, not only does it uh, try to up the effects, it tries gender swapping. So now there's a male in the part of cleaning the house. I think this the movie's biggest sin is is uh, what it doesn't want to be. For instance, the line. The line is not delivered in the same way. It's like they felt like they had to 
to do something different. So first, Caroline、mm-hmm. says, "They're coming,"、mm-hmm. and she says it with about as much luster as I just gave it. She just says, "They're coming," and then you see, and this is where you get into the effects where. Instead of hearing the, what I think works really well in 1982's Poltergeist, that lost, faraway echo of Carol Ann's voice,、mm-hmm. that、uh, feels far away. Yeah. In this movie, you see hands come up against the the TV. Oh, so that she's literally in the box of the TV. Yeah.、Oh. And then, and then you hear. Well, even before that. Uh, like the ghost hands are on the TV, and then she just turns around and she says, "They're here." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, what a letdown. It's, it's it's a little sad. Did, was that movie set in 1982? No. It, so did they have a tube TV or was it a flat screen? It was a flat screen, which is interesting because, like you, you know, I I think I remember talking to you about this with your kids. Your kids couldn't. Your kids couldn't even conceive that at a certain point, television just turned off. I had this long conversation with them, saying and turned that, to snow. Yeah, they didn't know what snow and we, was. And we ended with this rah rah, very American, like the national anthem. Yes, every like, night they would the play Iwo the Jima national statue. anthem. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> like, you know, weird jingoistic ending to every、yeah. television day. Of there would be the national anthem played. They would say thank you for watching, and then it would be fucking snow, and that snow would be loud enough t- to wake you up if you had fallen、yeah. asleep in front of the TV. And so I remember waking up to snow. I just I remember I had memories of the snow, and the, and I think this horror movie does what all great horror movies do, which is it it, it asks what's inside that that thing that's around us all the time, right? Right. That, well, that's... not just that, but in 1982, when we were kids, we would we would catch a lot of shit about TV. Don't watch too much TV. Don't、yeah. get too close to the TV. The TV's bad for you. And so, using that as the 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 centerpiece of your horror is really smart. Totally smart. The, and that's the... one of my biggest notes for Poltergeist. I kept writing a note, and then next to it, I put that's smart. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 the image of a little girl staring blankly at a TV where there's nothing on it but snow, but seeing something, and and but seeing something in there, yeah, totally frightening. Just as an、yeah. image, it's totally frightening, and it's frightening to parents. It's intriguing to kids. Like everybody wants to know what does she see in that chaos、right. where there's nothing to see. And that's the that's the sin of this remake, 2015. I'm pretty sure. Sounds about、uh, right. They show you、oh, the、Jesus. hands come up against the TV, like as a jump scare. Yeah. Oh god. You know the the lights are all going on the fritz. The way they cover the snow bit is they they just kind of play it as though the TV is in flux. Okay. So it's not snow, but you know one of those TVs like if you were to throw a golf ball at it like a, like a li- like the liquid.、Uh, yeah. 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 That kind of thing. It's kind of like that. Like, like, it's like it's been smashed. Only it hasn't been smashed, and so it's like, beep, 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 kind of flashing, and that's how they cover the snow in the, in the remake. That it's just part of、uh, electronic <laughs> hullabaloo. 
I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> electronic hullabaloo. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. Poltergeist 4, electronic hullabaloo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so so <laughs> <laughs> I know we always sound old on this show. I know, right? You sounded just like really old. You sounded like like 23 skidoo old. <laughs> Get wow. off my lawn! <laughs> With your electric hullabaloo. <laughs> I, yeah, I, had, so. I, I, had, I also had a, a something I wanted to, to speak to this. I don't know. We talked about motherhood a little bit, about that being... Uh, a controlling theme for the film and the art design yeah. and everything. But there's something else that this movie asks us to talk about, I think. And it has to do with the 1982 of it all, because we are two years into, you know, Reagan's first Ronald term. Reagan. Yeah. Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams are, uh, they feel boomers. like ex hippies. Yes. They're, they're ex hippies. They're right. They're, they, they're baby boomers who sort of had a hippie phase. They have joined Ronald Reagan's America, they but they'll still joined... smoke a little pot. That scene. So that's the scene. There's a scene in the beginning of this movie with, you know, the kids are in bed and the parents are in their room and they're sharing a joint. And Craig T. Nelson is reading a biography of Ronald Reagan. Of Ronald Reagan, right. As he's sharing this joint with his wife. And again, it's about uh, these hippies that grow up and kind of get real jobs and all that stuff. Well, and what's interesting about that, to me, there's like a slow build, you know? And at first, it's kind of fun. Yeah. We can move across the kitchen floor and oh, the chairs scenes, come up onto the table and all of that. Those scenes are so great. Those scenes are They're so amazing. Great. It's like you can kind of see the difference between... The mother mm-hmm. and the father. The father is more, more Reaganite than the mother. Yes. So he's the one that's having a hard time kind of wrapping his head around this. And she's just delighted by it. Yeah. The, the hippie, the, 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 the more hippie the, right. part. She's, she's sort of the, the one who's embracing the chaos of it all. Right, exactly. And which is why I feel like we go back to that scene of, of at the end of the day, you have the national anthem playing. Mm-hmm. which is all about like the, the Reagan America, right? It's yeah, all about right. the world of the dad. And then it's immediately followed by chaos, by snow, which is the world of the mom. And, and, and right. those, those two things start, that, that juxtaposition they found in the end of a TV day, that juxtaposition, they essentially assigned each parent to gender. one side. Yeah, or yeah. gender or whatever. And then in the end, what is it that these poltergeists are born of? It is the sort of the capitalist real estate developer who is the ultimate villain in right. a ghost movie, which yeah. is uh, uh, finally where the film decides on which side with the mother or the fathers it's going to land. And what I love too is that at the end of all of this, like after they get Caroline back and there's sort of the calm before the storm of the third act, Joe Beth Williams has like a shock of gray hair. Yeah, right. And and he says, "Whoa, what? Are you, and you're gonna keep that?" And she's like, "Yeah, I kind of like it. Like it was yeah, like a little. Right. It was like it was like a little bit of the hippie back in her. Like yeah, and not I just like being that, natural like that. I just it, it's one of those things that I ended up loving again because it was also accepting of oneself." Yeah. That she As was... opposed to trying to change myself, which is what is reinforced to women over and over and over and over again. Dye your hair, lose some weight, be beautiful, 
Be young. Don't go be gray. Be young. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, don't try to take too much control, <laughs> you know. And I love that they take this moment. I don't know how deliberate it is, but whether or not it is, it's fantastic that this woman is saying, no, I kind of dig it. I like it. I'm going to keep it. That all said, I would say, though, there are still some really kind of bass backwards uh, moments. You know, there, there. Oh are... yeah, there's a couple of 1982 moments. Oh my God! When the uh, when Sonny Landham, uh, who's a construction worker, is yep. outside preying on the daughter, and Mom just laughs it off. Yeah. A that it happens, and B that her daughter gives him the finger. Yeah. <laughs> and walks off. I was like, that's very 1982. That was very 1982. That it was just sort of expected that that no woman could pass a construction site, even one in her own home. In her with, own home. Uh, without the workmen uh, uh, whistling at her. And that, and that um, you know, Joe Beth Williams thought that that was mildly amusing. Uh, it was Exactly. That, that yeah. just felt like a, a movie out of a, a moment out of a different movie. And I feel like this right. movie, 90% of it is trending in one way. And then the taste decisions of, 1982 kind of come in and a joke is made out of one thing or another you know like the the one black character portrayed you know fine like Mm -hmm. he was a secondary character you know and and there wasn't any hay being made of him being a different race except at one point he essentially falls asleep on the job listening to music you know like right it was again like Watching all of these movies, I can't tell you, and we'll see in the thing too, how many times black men are portrayed listening to music and just kind of bopping around, like, yeah. and and uh, God, it's just a, uh, it's it, it to me, it, I put it in the in the basket of, um, of you know, Japanese tourist with the camera, cameras, uh, yeah, it's it was it's the same kind of visual. Epithet. nonsense yeah it's just it's just like it's like oh god we gotta is does this octopus uh, is there no film uh, in which this octopus does not stretch its right. tentacles yeah. Yeah. um and i i'm really looking for one um and we have i don't think we've come upon one yet <laughs> sadly. yeah no sadly it's it's hard to sneak by in 1982 without at least a couple of those I mean, what was so? I mean, do you have anything left for Poltergeist? I'm tr- the only I'm other thing I have is I love the last joke. Oh yeah, uh, well, uh, perfect. That, the last joke of this film is they check into a hotel and they go in, and then a second later they open the door and they roll the TV out. And yeah. I remember <laughs> watching great. that movie, and I remember my mom laughing at that moment. It was almost like it was such a great way to say that this family was going to be fine from that. Like it was such a great light moment to end a heavy movie on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like that is that joke is one of the reasons why this movie, uh, lasts as much as anything else that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad to watch this. I was glad to watch this with my kids again. Um, I was really happy to come back to it after so much time. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And when I was done, I just thought time well spent. Still a great movie. Really, yeah. It's it, it's it, in, in in terms of this project, it is one of the films that I would. If if you had to say like what movie would you go sit down and watch again right now, it would be in that list. Mm-hmm. A lot of the a lot of these movies I'll, I will never, ever, ever watch again. <laughs> I'm look I'm looking at you, cat people. <laughs> <laughs> 
1982 project will be back after these messages. Good evening from CBS News. This is Newsbreak. The House has adjourned until tomorrow as the Senate continues to struggle to pass legislation to finance government operations. Both houses favor bills that include job legislation, but President Reagan continues to say he'll veto any bill that includes public works jobs. Before adjourning today, the House gave up consideration of an immigration bill that would have granted amnesty to millions of illegal aliens. Senate leaders say they're prepared to stay in session all night to try to win passage of the president's gas tax hike. Artificial heart recipient Barney Clark has been taken off the critical list. He was well enough to sit up for a while and watch football on television. Jordan's King Hussein has arrived in Washington. The administration hopes to win Hussein's support for the president's Middle East peace plan. I'm Marlene Sanders, CBS News, New York. More news later on this CBS station. This is CBS. the thing the thing it's the first of all can we just talk about how dumb of a title this is fuck you <laughs> shut up it's uh, it's so forgettable to me i'll admit this much that when the movie came out it wasn't even just so much that it was called the thing but the poster with the man with the arctic gear on yeah. with the light coming out of his face yeah I think Carpenter thought that's the end of this fucking movie. Like, nobody's going to go see this movie. That makes it look like a slasher movie. He wasn't too wrong. This movie was not a runaway hit. Not not by any stretch. This movie, yeah. this movie has become a classic um, uh, in the years since 1982. So, but here's what's interesting. This movie is listed on Rotten Tomatoes as having 86%. Roughly the same as Poltergeist. That is not at all the case. That is after the fact readjustments. Because yeah. when the movie came out, it got pounded. People, like critics, hated this movie when it came out, including Roger Ebert. He hated it. <laughs> so Everyone cool. hated it until they didn't. What? Ch- how? Which is what I'm hoping happens for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I am trying to be open, but I once again I find myself in lockstep with Roger Ebert. I watched this movie and I was like, uh, eh, eh, oh that's good. Uh, like that was like it was a bunch of false starts for me. Uh, I don't know. It, it, schlocky is just the word that that I keep coming back to. Like it. It suffered from a, a real schlockiness. Oh, man, I don't see that at all. <sighs> I th- see the second act of this movie as one of the greatest second acts ever. Convince me. I don't know. I Well, what do you think this movie is about? I think this movie is scariest and it's the best when there are no special effects or anything on on. All screen. right, I'll agree with okay, that. So I think. The... But some of the special effects, I think, are actually amazing. Well, I'll give it this. It was the, look, this film had the best dog acting I've ever seen. <laughs> that dog was good. I, I was watching this and I was like, I was like, I might be watching the best dog performance ever. 
I it was like Kurt Russell, he's fine. He's fine. But the dog, the dog, I really felt for this dog. I understood. Like, he's curious. He's going to go check that out. Then he gets a little scared. Then he's like, like every beat of the dog's emotional journey was completely clear. <laughs> loved, loved, loved the dog acting in this movie. I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with the dog, but I just think it's funny that that's what you latched onto for that this was my, movie. I felt like that was the most um, successfully accomplished uh, aspect of this movie. As far as the story goes, this movie seems to be about how well can you trust the people around you. Yeah, right? it's a it's a movie about paranoia. It's a movie about paranoia. In a lot of ways, the plot is similar to an Agatha Christie plot. People are snowed in. You know, in this case, it's a scientific research center, but it might as well be a a, man, a British manor house that they're all snowed in, and one by one people start dropping like flies and they have to figure out who's doing it and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It has a very classic structure to it and one uh-huh. that I was able to follow and latch on to. And, um, you know, the device, which is, uh, you know, that somebody that looks normal could be sort of a, a ticking time bomb and that right. at some point is, gonna, is going to, uh, uh, you know, become this bloodthirsty kind of zombie-like creature. Um, so I think psychologically, uh, it, it, there's a lot of great things. That's going what on. I love about the movie is, yeah. is the psychology of it. It was the psychology, but it was also like shrouded in this machismo. I feel like we could have put this in the so, Macho Grande episode because the machismo of these dudes, it got to the point, it got to be so like uh, chest puffy that I started really wondering, like, are these actually scientists or are these like oil driller like what the fuck are these people even doing here <laughs> I, I honestly i was like is this a scientific research center it seems to be that seems to be what they told me but if so why all the firearms they've got a small <laughs> army's worth of shotguns <laughs> rifles they have two flamethrowers and they have all this dynamite look like, what the hell are they doing down there it was a different time, Matt. A different time. It was it was so uh, convenient and confusing that and and these guys were so butch and sort of in your face with their machismo that I stopped even believing that any of this was. So you checked out. I checked out because these guys were just like it was just it just became this like dick measuring contest, and I I just was like, okay, I get it. You don't trust each other. We'll figure out how you can. Take it to the next step. It's instead of just replaying like, well, now we don't. Well, now we still don't know who we who to trust, and there's just five of us instead of six. Fuck you, thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I'm gonna convince you. <laughs> Maybe I lied when I said I was I was willing to yeah, be convinced. You are not willing to listen. <laughs> what? <Maybe not. laughs> you are full of shit, sir. Maybe not. It's funny because I can't imagine you've seen a lot of John Carpenter films, right? I've seen this, and I have seen Halloween Starman, maybe? I've seen Starman. I love Starman. I haven't seen it in over 10 years, but I remember it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, but there are certain John Carpenter movies, uh, because I've recently watched They Live Again. I described it on on the How Dare You podcast as a... uh, a shot selection style that makes it 
makes it look and feel kind of like an after-school special, <laughs> but it's a horror movie. And I don't, and and you have that in some John Carpenter movies, which I've never, you know, is just interesting to me. But this movie doesn't have that that feel. I think this movie looks great, and he actually built the entire set on an actual glacier in the middle of summer to come back to in winter. Oh, so it would be all covered in snow? And so stuff? it would be covered in snow. Oh, wow, that's pretty great. That kind of thing I just really love and am impressed by. My one reservation in this movie has always been that it's such a dick show. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd, you know, I'd like to have seen a woman <laughs> in this group. The There's a remake least. from 2011. It's actually technically, technically it is not a remake. It's a prequel. Right. It's what happened to the previous, it, the what Norwegian. happened to the previous Norwegian yeah. camp. Right. And, um, that does have a female at the center. Was that any good? No. Um, <laughs> too reliant Why? again on CGI. And I loved the idea that they were doing a prequel. But they also spend a lot of time, you know, in the thing that they they kind of rope down to the actual spaceship mm-hmm. and kind of look inside it. In this other thing, it's like they go inside and the whole third act is in the in the, spe- in the, belly in of the, the actual yeah. Yeah, uh, UFO and uh, just kind of falls to pieces. But it literally ends with, you know, it's kind of my Harry Grimberger idea for a sequel of Halloween 3. Like show his story, because that that 2011 thing ends with the Norwegians in the helicopter chasing the dog, and you get like three rounds of shot from a rifle, mm-hmm. and the camera kind of pushes in on them, and it goes to black, and it's like now we know where our story goes. I, I have to. I'll I'll give you this. The opening of this film was. Uh, there's two openings to this film. One which is shows a spaceship yeah. careening toward Earth. I could have done without that. Yeah, me too. That just, that looks like something that was tacked on after the fact. What I felt like the truer beginning of this film, which was way more weird and, and disturbing, was watching two men in a helicopter hunting a dog with a rifle trying to kill a dog right over this arctic landscape i i felt myself going like oh this is i was like this is so much better beginning because i really i don't know what's going on but i have a clear sense of good and evil and i want to make sure that dog lives because he's such a fine actor and <laughs> and and so I, I I did feel like that whole opening where the where the helicopter lands and now i think they that opening is great it really is great. It was a great opening. So you seem to have a problem with the effects of this movie. Can I ask you, please, about Charles Hallahan's head, though, that turns into a spider? This, to me, is one of the most remarkable effects I've still to this day seen. Because heads cut off of bodies never look like oh. a real head cut off a of body. <laughs> and you're watching this one peel away from the body, and it still, to me, looks like his fucking head. So I'm about halfway through this movie, and my older son comes in. He had the, <laughs> he had the day off of school, and, uh, and I was watching this movie the afternoon. Uh-oh. 
this doesn't bode well for me. And he sits down and he says, "What are you watching?" And I said, "This is a, this is a movie for, from 1982. It's like it's a, it's a horror movie. So if you sit down and watch it, just promise me you won't get nightmares." And he goes, "Yeah, okay, Dad. He's 13. Yeah, okay, Dad." <laughs> Not long after he sat down, the scene that you're describing happens. And I looked to him and I said, now, promise me this is not going to give you nightmares. And he was like, Dad, this is literally the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Shit. And I couldn't disagree with him. You've got to be fucking kidding For me, here, here's 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 one of my big. Um, I know this movie is like on everybody's top ten list. I know that there are people who say this is the scariest movie ever made. I know it. This movie has. I don't think gr- people say that, but well, it's on it's on a lot of lists of like scariest movies. Ever and I made. still, I I actually never found it scary. I found it more unsettling and dramatic than like. Yeah, than than like but deeply whatever. Terrifying. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. I guess I guess what I when I look at that I just look at it and, and look and see what I perceive honestly is like a ripoff of Alien. They were able to do a lot of the same things, but they had a very simple set of rules that governed yeah. the Alien. Like, here's what it looks like as an adult. Here's latches how, onto your face. Here's how right. it lays it's eggs. Like, yeah. Here's, here's how, what it, yeah. Like, the life cycle of the Alien was very clear. And 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 so for so when his head sprouts. Spiders, I, I just like, you guys are just making shit up as you go along. Like, I have no idea. So uh, this, the only problem yeah. I run into in the logic of it is that when it takes over another body, it takes that body over in a manner in which its clothes will be ripped apart, but then can recreate the inorganic material of those clothes when it reproduces, which to me doesn't make sense. I can get that the the thing can reproduce the person, but how does it reproduce his shoes, his pants, his undies, and his jacket? Every time Wilford Brimley would start to explain what was going on, somebody it felt like somebody else would just cut him off, or he wouldn't lock him up, f- lock him up, or he <laughs> wouldn't he wouldn't finish his thought. <laughs> you know? uh, and and so like Wilford Brimley seemed to be the only one who was really trying to figure this out and the rest of them were just trying to figure out like who who cares how it reproduces let's just kill it you know what I mean and right. like I, I get that you know but I actually as a viewer was like well what what are we dealing with here and yeah and because stylistically this thing felt so alien like it felt so much like uh, the uh, the movie Alien. See, I don't. I never draw comparisons to Alien myself. I never have. Oh God, it's, it's like, interesting. I mean, that's what I'm saying about these people not even appearing like scientists. They felt more like the people working on the on the Nostromo. You know, like they felt like people like oil. That I won't workers, disagree you know? with. I've I've never consciously thought about that, but you know, I like what is Child's job on this team. <laughs> Could, What's tell Keith you. David's job? I know, I know what Kurt Russell does. Yeah, and I know who the cook is. And I know exactly. I know who T.K. Carter is. Yeah. Donald Moffat seems to kind of just be the administrator. Yeah, but he's armed. 
Yeah. Like he always had, carries a sidearm with him, uh, even before things showed up. So what? Yeah. Like, what was he? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a scientist, and I don't go anywhere without my gun. Right. <laughs> like that's Richard Dysart is the doctor, but yeah. everybody else like has this sort of like they look like they could be scientists, but scientists of what? I'll, I won't disagree with yeah. that. Are they? What are they studying? You know? I think I've always latched on to uh, I God man this is so upsetting because I love this movie so much. <laughs> um, I am turning the tables. It's very uh, you know I just want to say go fuck yourself. But <laughs> um, I really like the effects in this movie. Like I said, I think that head effect with the spider legs coming out yeah. of it. I think it looks amazing. I th- you, you, know, mean, you mean like con- like it's convincing looking, or that you think it's wildly imaginative, or what? What do you when you say you like it? What is your? I think it looks better than you're giving it credit for. For one, <laughs> so like when they burn things and then put them out, and they're like studying them. Mm-hmm. I think all of that shit looks astounding. Like the the the, uh, the autopsy table scenes? The autopsy yeah. table scenes, exactly. I think they look amazing. I think they have the effect that I I assume Carpenter wanted, which is the unsettledness of the audience going, this is the grossest fucking thing I've ever seen. I think the dog's face splitting like a banana is very effective. Now having said all of that, I think this would be a much better movie if most or all of that wasn't in it. Mm. When Wilford Brimley at the end of the movie has escaped and he appears in front of Donald Moffat and just puts his hand over his face. Yeah. And it's like, you're not seeing a lot. There's also a great effect in there where you can see his fingers going into his cheek and kind of peeling the skin back. But to me, what I really like about that moment is you can picture what's coming out of his hand that you're not seeing yeah. entering Donald Moffat's body. That, to me, was the most interesting kill kind of in this movie. That's what I would have wanted to have seen more of. To me, I latch on to lots of little moments. I, I, like I said, the, the second act of this to, movie to me is uh, wonderful. I love the paranoia. Yeah, I love that that Kurt Russell shoots Richard Mauser in the face. And then they check his blood and he's not a thing. Mm -hmm. And Keith David says, that makes you a murderer, doesn't it? These ethical questions that come up in the movie as to like, what would you do to survive and the length that you would go to. And I think Kurt, I I really like Kurt Russell's performance in this movie, too. The only exception to that is that he's the kind of man that would pour his booze into a computer because he lost a chess game, fucking up the chess game forever. But yeah, uh, that was. But beyond that, I think that was like the that's how we meet him. That's like I know, I know, I know, I know it's how we meet him. I like. Like, excising that part out to me, what I do like about his performance is he's, like, the quiet guy in the corner that's figuring out shit for himself Mm -hmm. and sees things that the others aren't seeing. And that part I like. And there's a lot of it. There's, there's just, like, a lot of moments of that in this movie. And for me, it's enough to, like, love this movie. Mm. I, I I like I said at the beginning, like I felt like the the best movies the best moments of this movie are 
the moments without any special effects, without any mm-hmm. monsters, without any spider heads. You know, locking, you know, the decision to lock Wilford Brimley up and that kind of, and that Wilford Brimley kind of understands that, like, yeah, I guess I need to be locked up. Um, yeah, all of that stuff does work. Again, it's like this snowed in quality. Paranoia, when you're kind of locked in together with strangers, you know, whether it's, uh, and then there were none, or whether it's Hateful Eight, or whether it's Key Largo. You, when, you, when, when the weather is keeping you from getting anywhere in contact in the outside world, what happens within that little ecosystem? Yeah, that's the other thing, though. Like, I mean, I wish we had some more diversity, especially in, in, in terms of gender, but I really love all these actors. I love Keith oh, David in this movie. It, it's a rogues gallery. It's a murderer's row. Oh, of, of, of like 80s character actors. Yeah. And to see them a bit young. Wilford Brimley, as I was reading, like this was one of his first roles. Yeah. And he kind of doesn't even look like Wilford Brimley yet. I know, is, right? Which is <laughs> not really Not as we weird. came to know him. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Kurt Russell, this is, I think this is their second or third collaboration uh, between uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. So, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of film legacy, you know, this is a this is one of those collaborations that, um, you know, a, a, between a director and an actor um, that spans several movies over many years. You know, I, I you know, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China is another film that um, I haven't seen in a long time, but I loved that film as a kid. Thank God. All right. We're back on track. Something <laughs> something we can agree on. We better run. Run into the mystic night. Run until they take us away. Okay, Mike, we got to make some sense of what we've just talked about. You know, right. I, I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Let's see if I'm right. <laughs> what do you All think? All right, then, sir. We're, we're going to talk salt. Uh, Poltergeist, do you watch that with no salt, with a grain of salt, or a cup of salt? I mean, I think I'm no salt. If, if there's salt, I mean, there there is some 1982 in it that I don't like. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's that pinch of it, but it's it's not central to the story in the way that sometimes 1982 movies have been for us in the past. Mm-hmm. But but mostly I'm no salt. I mean that movie is still just great. I I, I couldn't agree more. I I'm, I always feel like every week we're we're saying the same thing, which is like, well, there's certain 1982 aspects of this yeah, film. Right. And so there's like a blanket grain of salt for everything we talk about. Yeah. Um, so, but beyond that, do you need an extra grain of salt to get you through? And the um, answer for Poltergeist is no. Yeah, for me, it's no too. And in fact, I, I, I think this is one of those few movies, especially one of those few popcorn movies from 1982 that you can watch today and still enjoy mm-hmm. and get something new out of the way I did when I got something new out of watching it this time and seeing some of the themes at work. I found yeah. I found myself enjoying parts of this movie that I didn't enjoy as a kid. So in that way, it 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 has grown. Now the thing. I'm gonna guess you're you're no salt on the thing. Am I right? No, I think I'm a pinch of salt. 
What's the pinch about? The pinch is what you referenced about an all-male cast and the over-machismo. Mm-hmm. I, the, the one thing I, that always kind of holds me up about this movie is there's not one clear-headed male <laughs> with intelligence. Like, McReady is portrayed as a man of intelligence, but a different kind of intelligence is like an intuitive intelligence. You know, the the one person that might have been intelligent is Wilford Brimley, and they lock him up. <laughs> right. Because they're scared of him. <laughs> but, of course, in the end, he also is the thing. Like, he's he, he escapes, and he has become the thing. So... So that's the part of it to me that um, that detracts from the movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just literally discussed that there's a there's salt on all of these movies because of the 1982 of it. Right, right, right. And I'm like this close to saying, but it's just like it's too big a chunk of the movie. It's too much of the core of the movie for me to not throw some salt on there. I got you. I I am of two minds here. Uh, Honestly, there are parts of this movie that I would say no salt that completely fit the brief. Yeah. That are super enjoyable and suspenseful. I love the scene where they're testing the blood. I think that's a great scene. We didn't really talk about that. That scene's amazing. That to me is when the movie is at its best in a scene like that. There are parts of this movie where I'm like, no salt. And then there are other parts of the, this movie where I'm just like, I can't pour enough salt down my throat to in order to in order to, to make this palatable. Um, so like on the average, what does that mean? I, I don't right. I, I, I don't know what that means. It seems to me that your salt has more to do with the filmmaking as opposed yeah. to the 82 of it. I think I think you're right. I think for me, uh my quibbles with the movie are with the story. It wasn't doing what I thought, what I think these movies should be doing is making me be afraid, right? We, we're, this is a horror, we're talking about horror movies. Right. Uh, my whole thing with this movie is I, I just don't think it's a very good movie. Um, do I think you have to like never see this again or like, or, or that it needs to kind of die a quiet death. Leave the shelves. Right. Yeah. Like, no. Um, and so in some ways I'm like no salt, but that doesn't mean it's a good movie. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, You know, um, that it it is, it is exactly what it sets out to be. Um, and makes no apologies. So that's the thing that I keep thinking about, especially in terms of the salt, like, it's by design that they're all male and it might even be by design that they're all machismo uh, and that those be, yeah. things butting up against each other was part of the tension he wanted specifically for the movie. Mm-hmm. And in that case, to me, it's like, okay, then no salt. But for me personally, you know, I don't, you're, you're like my closest male friend. Like I have far more, uh, close friendships with women than I do men. I mm-hmm. find lots of men to be very tedious. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> a good word. And so, so the men in this movie, I would find te- like I would oh, lose yeah. my shit having to work with this group of clowns. Toxic, you know what I mean? Toxic work environment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's possible that ninety percent of the people who die didn't have to die if there was just like one guy who wasn't a piece of shit that could have said, "Here's what's happening." Here's what we have to do. Right. And there's a reading of this movie where it's it's like the the, the chief 
obstacle and the reason that everybody dies in this movie and the chief obstacle that they have to overcome is their own machismo. That right. if, if only all of these men, if only just two of these men knew how to talk about their feelings and knew how exactly. to, yeah, exactly. knew how to, how to be vulnerable uh, w- with one another and say, I'm scared or uh, this is how you can know I'm human because I'm expressing these other emotions. I'm crying. Would an alien cry? Like, like yeah, right. all, all of these things that uh, uh, could have easily happened had it been a different group of, but, of men. Uh, yeah. So I, I'll give it that, except um, none of the characters ever seem to realize that they never, that, that realization, it never dawned on anybody. It never even dawned on Kurt Russell in the end, it just ends up being this like macho staring contest at the end of the film. Yeah. And then the film ends. It's like, ooh, who killed who? It's like, I hope they killed each other because they were clearly never going to get the lesson here, which is like you could have vo- avoided all of this if you just knew how to communicate with each other. Right. But it's what's funny to me is like, I still really like that ending. I love that. <laughs> like, we don't get an answer. and Those two are just going to sit in the cold until they die, probably. I, I just wish... I don't know. It's it, it, we, we talked about the accidental themes and messages of Poltergeist. Right. I think we can talk about this being an accidental yeah, theme and message maybe. of this film. I don't know if Carpenter is that aware and that uh, conscious about uh, that. He see, his, so in the opposite film, his I had seemed to be on right. other in the opposite in, in Poltergeist, I had said, but because it's Steven Spielberg, I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'd go the opposite direction yeah. in this one. Because it's Carpenter, I don't know that it's that purposeful. <laughs> you might be looking too far into that. <laughs> project is a production of the Everything's Equal podcast and was produced by Mike Chance and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Emmett Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This house is clean.